So we're reading 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 16. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have, to have, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets, who spoke of the grace that was to come to you, searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told to you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober... Set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Well, do you ever wish that you had a periscope? Let me explain what I mean by that. Uh, a periscope is one of those things on top of a submarine that lets you look up and out of the water at what is around you, uh, from what, down where you are under the water. Do you ever wish you had one of those, but for your life? Some way of punching out of your feelings and experiences. Just have a moment that would give you an understanding of what's around you, where you've been, and where you're going. Uh, Because things might seem murky and choppy where you are right now. You might feel trapped by the way your life is unfolding. The Christian life might seem to you like uh, more of a rut that you want to get out of than the thing you want to be doing with the rest of your life. It might seem like the rough waters you're in now are too dark and too dangerous to press on through. Do you ever wish you had a perspective that would let you know if it's worth carrying on in the Christian life? Well, 1 Peter is going to give us that perspective tonight. 
Uh, it's like a periscope that's going to shoot kilometres up into the sky. It's got a telescopic HD 360 lens on it. Uh, it's going to help us see the reality that we can't always see when we just look around at what's around us. Through it, we're going to see God's investment in us. We're going to see what he's already done for us. We're going to see our inheritance, our hope about the future. And then we're going to think together about what that means in the meantime. What's our plan of attack in the here and now? The first thing Peter wants Christians to know is that God is invested in them. Uh, Not just that God has this kind of general attitude of hoping that things pan out for them, uh, but that he has poured time, effort, energy, thought, resources, love, blood, sweat, and tears into making them Christian. Even as he says the kind of, hello, how are you, not too bad, thanks, part of the letter, he says to them, he immediately identifies them as people who God is invested in. He says, to God's elect who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. And then down in verse 3, he says, in his great mercy he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's not too worried about small talk, is he? Peter opens his letter by saying to Christians everywhere, hey, before God said, let there be light, back in Genesis 1, he knew your name and had already chosen to give you eternal life. 2,000 years ago, Jesus died to pay the penalty, the judgment, the punishment for all the ways you and I ignore and disobey God. He did that by dying on the cross for you and sprinkling you with his blood. Hey, Christian, ever since you put your trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit's full-time job has been to help you cut sin out of your life, sanctifying you or cleaning you to make you more and more holy, just like God is holy. Peter opens his letter and he says, Hi, how's it going? Look at the Trinity. Look at how they have been working together for you how they've already done so much for you. But wait, there's more. Uh, Let's jump down to verse 10 and 11. This is what they say. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. The prophets wrote a lot. They said a lot. We've just, uh, as a church, finished preaching through the book of Isaiah, and if we preached through it at the pace that we're going to go through 1 Peter, it would take us two years and two weeks to get through. The prophets wrote a lot, and they lived through a lot. There were prophets like Hosea and Jeremiah who had to travel to places and bury things and dig things up and marry people, all as symbols and pictures, symbols of Israel's sin and pictures of this promised king who's going to come and rescue them from their sin. The prophets' lives revolved around this figure, 
this character who they would never meet in this life. They did everything they could to find out who he was. It was like they'd uh, made and produced and listened to a true crime podcast all the way up to the last episode. They had all the details, all the clues, but they didn't know who it was. So close. And Peter says, he's saying to all of us that they did all of that. Everything they wrote and said and did, it was for us. They spent their entire lives presenting the origins of the gospel message to us. How come? So that when we encounter Jesus, when we read about him in the gospels and hear the gospel message preached to us, we'd recognize who he is. Let's have a look at verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. Imagine that. On their days off, angels spend their time imagining, marvelling at how God has choreographed and coordinated all of history so that you and I might put our trust in Jesus. God must love us a lot, hey? Think about the lengths that you'd go to uh, to have a coffee with your favourite footy player, the one that you've caught trains and paid season passes for just to get a glimpse of. Think about the heartache you feel when you lose an assignment that didn't save properly and that you've had to start from scratch on. Think about what you would be willing to do for your closest friend who you've supported and cared for and been vulnerable with through days and weeks and months of difficulty. The investment that you have in those things, in those people, Peter says it's nothing compared to the investment that God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit have in you. When we see how invested God is in us, it should make us realise two things. Firstly, we should realise how big the problem must be. Regardless of how big a deal we think ignoring and disobeying God is, this, all of this, is what it takes to undo the damage and the consequences of sin. Only in Jesus sprinkling us with his blood, dying for us, And coming back to life, can Christians be given new life of their own? A few moments ago, uh, when we said in confession uh, that uh, there is now no condemnation in sin, we can only say that because of all of these things that God has done for us. It shows us how big the problem is, but secondly, it also shows us how willing God is to find a solution to that problem. It shows how invested God is in us. That there is nothing he isn't willing to do for us. So let me ask you, how ready do you feel to live as an exile? Are you ever unsure that God cares about you? Do you ever worry that God's got better things to do with his time than look after little old you? 
when you look back on all that God has done for you, how invested he is, how hard he's pulling for you, how much he wants you to recognize who Jesus is, how much he loves you and wants to be with you, and how he's been at work since the beginning of time for you, how much more ready do you already feel to live as an exile for the next 60 years? So we've seen the investment that God has made in us, but what's it all for? What's the payday that's coming? Peter says that we've been born into a living hope, but what is it that we're hoping for? Well, the short answer is we don't exactly know. Peter says we have an inheritance, but then he gives us a list of things that it's not. Let's read from verse 3. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. Peter says that our inheritance is imperishable. It will never break or die. It's not something you can use up or spend Your inheritance is something that you'll enjoy forever. He also says that it's undefiled. How's that feeling when you first get a food stain on a fresh, brand-new T-shirt? That will never happen with our inheritance. There's nothing we can do to ruin it or spoil it or make it fade, make it any less special. We won't have to handle it carefully so that we don't scratch it or dent it or spill tomato sauce on it. And he promises us that our inheritance is unfading. Our inheritance won't have diminishing returns. We won't be able to wear it out. There's no inheritance 15 Pro X coming out next summer that we'll have to buy. It'll be the perfect reward. Whether it's riches or reputation, camping or clubbing, land or love, food or friendships, there is nothing Peter can think to compare this inheritance to that wouldn't sell it short. The fact that it is so hard to grasp is what makes it so good. And did you notice where the inheritance is? Whatever this inheritance is, we'll be enjoying it with God. We'll be enjoying it where he is. The great Tom Haverford from the TV show Parks and Rec once said, love, love comes and goes, but stuff, material things, they last forever. (laughs) Imagine looking forward to something that truly lasts forever. We should be filled with excitement at the thought of our inheritance, In verse 13, he says that our hope is set on the grace that we'll receive when Jesus is revealed. On top of the grace that he's already shown us, on top of the investment God has already made in us, we're looking forward to inheritance that is far better than we deserve, a gift that we haven't earned. But you might be asking yourself at this point, how do I know I'll get there? Peter's writing to Christians where he says, are suffering grief in all kinds of trials. 
Maybe you're worried that the going will be too tough for you. Maybe you're worried that your faith isn't strong enough to get you the distance. Maybe you're worried you aren't good enough or strong enough to live the life of an exile until Jesus comes again. And if you think that, you would be right. But Peter reminds us of what we so quickly forget when the going gets tough, that it's not up to us. It's up to God. Let's pick it up again in verse 4. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who, through faith, are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Peter says the likelihood of you getting your inheritance is 100%. Because we are shielded by God's power until he comes again. It doesn't matter how strong or weak our faith is. It's about who our faith is in. He is strong enough to shield us. He protects us until we reach our inheritance. To put it another way, not only is our inheritance kept for us, but we are kept for our inheritance. An exile feels like they're in a vulnerable position, don't they? A foreigner wandering around with no home. Being the only Christian in a uni cohort can feel like being an exile. Being the one person in your family who's put your trust in Jesus can make you feel like a stranger at your own dinner table. Not devoting yourself to owning the nicest car or the flashiest house will make you feel like a foreigner to the Aussies around you. But we can carry on now as exiles, strangers, people away from their home, because we have an inheritance that God is keeping for us and is keeping us for. And it's not just a reward or treasure or stuff. The thing that makes it an inheritance is that it's already got our name on it. God carefully chose it for us and carefully chose us for it. So let me ask you, how ready do you feel to live as an exile? As Christians, we follow in the pattern of Jesus in verse 11, pressing through suffering now and enjoying our glory later. Our inheritance is so good that we can rejoice at the thought of it. We can look at Jesus' resurrection and experience a real and sure living hope. We can be certain that God has something in store for us which will make our time as exiles worthwhile, worth planning for, worth living for. God himself is shielding you, your heart and mind and body, until that inheritance is in your hands. How much more does getting a glimpse of your eternal inheritance get you ready to live as an exile for the next 60 years? Well, we've seen God's investment in us and we've looked ahead to our inheritance. But what do we do in the meantime? It feels like the big stuff, the important stuff, is happening either side of us. 
Does that mean that in the meantime it's just an inconvenience? Is all of this just a lag until we reach the new creation? Is suffering as an exile just a glitch in God's otherwise perfect plans? It might feel like that sometimes, but that is not the picture that Peter paints for us in this chapter. Come with me to verse 6 and 7. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honour when Christ is revealed. Peter acknowledges that Christians have and will experience grief in all kinds of trials, but he says that our suffering now is doing something. It's achieving something. The Bible has lots to say about different kinds of suffering, but one of the things that it says here is that suffering for being a Christian makes your faith more beautiful. Your faith is being refined into something precious. Gold shines brighter when it has been refined, when all the dirt and all the impurities have been burned out of it. As we've seen, it's okay that our faith is imperfect or weak because our salvation depends on who that faith is in. And yet, in the meantime, God does make our imperfect faith more perfect. It could be that there is a corner of your heart that is trusting God to provide you with physical comfort in this life, which is something he never promises to do. It could be that your trusting God has this impurity in it that makes you rely on your skills or your personality as much as you rely on God. Suffering for being a Christian will burn out those impurities. We will share in the praise and glory and honour that Jesus will because we have suffered like him. But the good stuff isn't just in the future. Let's keep reading. Come with me to verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. We do not see him, yet we love him. We are promised inexpressible joy now at what God is doing in us. Now, uh, if you are someone who has put your trust in Jesus and uh, you aren't feeling inexpressible joy about that, don't stress. Uh, Because the language is of receiving. That word is a process word. Day by day, we become more and more like we will be on that last day, bursting with inexpressible joy. So if you don't feel inexpressible joy now, Uh, You don't need to have an existential crisis or get angry at yourself for not feeling joy. Uh, The solution isn't just to toughen up uh, and hope that squashing down the suffering might make you feel a bit happier and more joyful. Uh, Verse 8 doesn't command you to feel joy. It says that you have joy and you will grow in that joy. But the thing we are commanded to do in the meantime 
is to be holy. Right back in verse 2, Peter said that the reason we were saved was to be obedient to Jesus Christ. And so down in verse 13, he doesn't just say, hang out and chill out until Jesus comes back again. Listen to what he says, verse 13. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. See, our perspective changes our behavior. It makes us obedient to Christ. He says, just feeling like an exile isn't enough. You have to be an exile. The opposite of obedience is being conformed to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. The opposite of being made more and more like Jesus is being made more and more like everyone else. You might know someone or uh, you might have heard from someone or had someone tell you that being a Christian is just about having blind faith. But Peter says that the opposite of being a Christian is living in ignorance, slowly being bent, conformed into a more and more selfish person, more and more at the mercy of your desires. Now we're going to tease that out over the next couple of weeks. What will, be, what will being an exile look like? What should it not look like? How do we make sure that when people notice that we're exiles, when they notice our otherness, how do we make sure that they're pushed closer to Jesus and not pushed further away from him? We're going to get to explore all of that over the next couple of weeks. But it can all be summed up in verse 15 and 16. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, because I am holy. Holiness is what we should strive for now and look forward to. It's part of the inexpressibly good inheritance that we'll receive. A few weeks ago, we had our What's Next event here at the church. uh, And as part of that, people got to uh, send in their questions about Christianity and about Jesus. And one of the questions that got sent in was, why can't I just become a Christian on my deathbed? And the question was answered by Claire Deves, uh, and she went on to say lots of good stuff, but the first thing she said was, the thing that that question presupposes is that you will have a worse life, if you, uh, sorry, you will have a better life if you're not a Christian, that you'll have a worse life if you are a Christian. And Peter says the exact opposite. He says that the best life is the holy life. Even though being a Christian attracts suffering, the life of inexpressible joy happens when we pursue holiness, when we chase after the thing that we will have fully in the future. Setting our hope fully on the grace that is coming means we strive towards it now. The person who has set their hope on competing in the Olympics in LA in 2028 works towards the way that they will be then. They train and strain and do everything they they can to become that person. So let me ask you, 
How ready do you feel to live as an exile? Peter says that our time in the meantime isn't wasted. Yes, we suffer now, but our suffering is refining our faith, making it into something more beautiful, more precious, more precious than whatever your suffering has taken away from you. Yes, we are exiles here, but because we are exiles here because we are obedient children to our Heavenly Father. And like I am standing before you right now, one day we will all stand before Jesus. And if we are trusting him, he will make us perfectly holy, just like he is. That should make us want to be holy now. How much more ready do you feel to live as an exile for the next 60 years because of that? 1 Peter gives us a periscope for our lives here on earth. Whether we can look back, we can look back and see what the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have already invested in us. We can see that they've got so much at stake in preserving us through suffering. God is not going to leave us to endure suffering alone. And we can look forward to our inheritance Shimmering on the horizon, we get a glimpse of our living hope. It isn't hope like we understand it. Our hope is based on the resurrection of Jesus. It's not the kind of hope that says, I hope that it's true, I wonder if it's true. It's a hope that says, I cannot wait for it to happen. It's not the hope of wondering if we'll get there. It's the hope of knowing that it'll be so good when the sun comes up and puts an end to the cold, dark night. It's the hope of knowing that we'll get there, that we will be kept for our inheritance, and so we can have inexpressible joy about that. Therefore, Peter says, Uni Church, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. God is expecting us to read 1 Peter and have our perspectives changed, to have our lives changed. We'll be people who are captivated by our salvation and our future glory. It will make us alert and fully sober to what's around us. Suddenly, feeling different and being different and thinking and acting like an exile makes perfect sense. It changes everything, right? It gives us a purpose as individuals and as a church. It doesn't make the messiness of this life any less messy. It doesn't make the waves of suffering any smaller. But suddenly, the pursuit of holiness makes sense. The Christian life stops feeling like rules and suddenly starts feeling like really living. Why don't we pray about that? Gracious Lord, we thank you so much for your son Jesus, for the investment that you have in those who have put their trust in you. Please give us a big and clear vision of our inheritance. 
Help us to read 1 Peter and be encouraged to look forward to that inheritance. And help us to live for you in the meantime. Give us a desire for holiness. Holiness that is like you because you are holy. Help us to do all of this, not in our own strength, but in the strength of the Lord Jesus. Help us to be fueled by the Holy Spirit and help us to love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.